Um, today's scripture reading is a really short one. So if you want to follow along, it's in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. But if you prefer to just close your eyes and listen to the word of God read over you, that's also fine. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Fiona. We're good. Hey, is uh, Katie Dolly and friends here? Hey. I'm not going to ask you. Oh, um, these guys are from Foothill Church uh, in Glendora. Um, we love your church. We love you guys. We thank you for um, all of your support to us, and it's just good to have you guys. Hopefully, you have a good, restful time uh, on your on your journey. So, everybody else, good. Good. Cool. Good. Um, chapter ten of Luke. Um, uh, like we said already, the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel really introduce us to who Jesus is, right? He's the Son of God. He's, he's God in the flesh come to be uh, the King of God's eternal kingdom in heaven and on earth. And then in chapter, end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, there's this, there's this transition where Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, and he begins this journey towards that city. And over the next uh, nine-ish chapters, Luke writes about various things that happen along the journey, uh, and he, he writes this in order for us to see what does it mean to be followers of this king, right? what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus? It's a really important question, isn't it? Um, and chapter 10, we've seen, it begins to answer that question for us. Uh, we saw in the first, first 24 verses uh, that it means that we're to be gospel messengers, Right? We, as disciples of Jesus, we are given his gospel message, and we are sent out to share that message with those around us. Right? It's, it's, the only, it's the only message that gives hope to those in our dark world, those who are lost, those who, who need Jesus. And we, we have that message, and so we share it with others. We're gospel messengers. And then, in verses 25 to 37, we saw not only are we to be gospel messengers, we're to also be gospel neighbors. Right? Not only do we share the gospel message, but we allow it to, to shape us, right? We embody it. We live it. We, we're, we, uh, we now live these lives of, of love and compassion to those around us, um, even those who don't accept the message, even our enemies, we show compassion to. Um, just before we move on and, and look at this story, uh, let me just ask you, how are you doing with those two things in your life? Is your home 
a Jesus home? Right? Is your home a home where Jesus reigns as king? Is your home uh, an outpost of his kingdom in this dark world? If it is, then what do these two aspects of being a disciple of Jesus look like in your life, in your home? And how are you doing with being a gospel messenger? Has the good news of Jesus gripped your heart so much that you can't help but to share it with those around you? How are you doing with being a gospel neighbor? Um, has the good news of Jesus, that he has shown you compassion and kindness and love and mercy and grace when you didn't deserve it, has that gripped your heart so much that, that you can't help but to reenact that in your life and to offer that same compassion and love and care to the people in need around you? Do you care about the needs of those around you? Are, are, you, are you living sacrificially in order to be able to help meet the needs of those around you? Are, are you not just kind of showing pity from afar, but like a lot of you go to work and you, you work really hard and you get a paycheck, what are you spending that money on? As practical as that. Is, is it just to, to kind of meet the needs of what's happening in your life, passing by on the other side of the road in that sense, or are you being a gospel neighbor? Um... We don't just wing it in the kingdom of God. We shouldn't just wing it, right? It's important to be intentional with the gospel in our lives. And so, have to ask those kinds of questions with the people in your life. Single people, you might live alone, but you're not meant to be alone. Hopefully, you are in community. Who's holding you accountable with those things? Who are you having those kind of conversations with? Your family or maybe your MC or your core group? Married people, when's the last time you had that conversation with your spouse? One of you asked those, those kinds of questions. How are, we, how are we sending out the message from our home? How are we using our money to, to meet the needs of those around us? It's important to ask those questions and be intentional. How are you doing with those aspects of being a disciple? And here's what, what can happen is we can tend to think that we're maybe more skilled or more gifted in one of those areas than the other. And there's some truth to that, right? Like the Apostle Paul, he says, you know, in the body of Christ, we're all given these kind of various gifts, right? So we all have these, these gifts, and some of you are really great with evangelism, and that's amazing, right? You're just, you just know how to, like, weave the gospel into a conversation, um, and that's amazing. You're, you're great at gospel messaging. Some of you are really great at hospitality, right? You just seem to have this radar for the needs of others in your life, and that's amazing. Like, Lean into your gifts. Like, for the love of God, use your gifts that He has given you. Um, but what we shouldn't do is use that kind of reasoning as an excuse for not doing both of these things in our lives. And um, Because what we read in chapter 10, it's not that some of us are called to be gospel neighbors, right? That's my strength, is caring for people. So I don't really need to worry about actually sharing the gospel message. And we don't read that some of us are called to be gospel uh, messengers, right? Man, I'm just really good at uh, sharing my faith. I'm really good at, at evangelism and kind of talking about the gospel, so I don't really need to focus too much about, you know, loving my neighbor. And that's, that's not what we're taught in chapter 10 at all. We read that we are all called to be gospel messengers and called to be gospel neighbors. And, and so I think the question is, how do we continue to, to do these things, right? And because if you're, if you're anything like me, I, I can do them in bursts at times, right? 
Um, but, but how do we continue to be faithful in both gospel messaging and gospel neighboring in the long run in our lives as disciples? If you're anything like me, if I'm just winging it in life, right, if I'm just, uh, as a follower of Jesus, just reacting to life around me and I kind of get caught up in the busyness of life because life is really busy, what, what always happens without fail is I tend to turn inward, um, it's, it's not our natural inclination to be gospel neighbors, right, and to be sacrificially caring for the needs of those around us, especially our enemies. What's natural is to care for self. Um, it's not natural to, to go out on a limb and risk looking like a fool because you believe the gospel and because you share the gospel with those around you, right? Like, if there's a chance... That, that someone might think I'm just stupid <laughs> or, or foolish or maybe even a bigot for believing in what Jesus teaches and, and sharing the gospel message, why would I dare share the gospel with that person, right? You see, our flesh has a tendency towards self-preservation, doesn't it? John 3 says that we tend to love the darkness rather than the light, but listen, as disciples of Jesus, we have been saved by grace, and we've been brought out of, as Peter says, we've been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light, and we're now called to be salt and light in the world, right? We're called to be gospel messengers and gospel neighbors. And so I think the big question is, as we live our lives out there in a dark world, as we are now still exiles in a foreign land in that sense, how do we keep going? in these things? How, how are we to continue to be faithful to the call to share the gospel and to love those around you? As I mentioned already, I think part of the answer lies in intentionality, right? We, we, we don't just wing it. We don't just take life as it comes at us. We are intentional with our gospel lives. And I think there's something in this story about these two sisters that show us something about that. The, the only way that you are going to risk looking like a fool and being shamed in sharing the gospel, right? the only way that you are going to use some of your hard-earned resources to care for those around you, maybe even for someone who doesn't even like you, the, the only way that you're going to do that is if your heart is so gripped by Jesus and the gospel of what he's done for you, right? The only way that you're going to do that is if your heart is filled up with Jesus. That's how we do it faithfully. And the story of these two sisters, they teach us something about that. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that the chapter 10 of all chapters ends with this story, right? Because it's a chapter that highlights so much doing, right? It highlights so much good gospel activity, gospel work, gospel service, going out, sharing the message, going out and, and helping those in need, practical, amazing things. And yet it ends with this story about Jesus encouraging this one sister to not be so anxiously distracted with so much doing in her life. And, and this commendation that he gives to the other sister who is being judged for not doing much at all. It's a weird way for this chapter to end. So what's this passage telling us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? In a chapter that instructs us with so much good gospel activity, what's this last week's story about these two sisters telling us about how we are to approach this gospel work? 
And let me pray really quickly one more time and we'll take a closer look. Uh, Lord, we need you. And like we've said already, we have this, we're prone to going off in the wrong direction. We're prone to going away from you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you teach us now? Would you help us? Would you bring our attention back to the glory of Jesus and back to what it means to be part of his kingdom? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary and Martha, you've, most of you have heard this story, right? Um, in a nutshell, the story goes, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, Martha welcomes them into her house. Uh, it seems that Martha does everything. She, she does all the work that's involved in serving the guests. Uh, Mary uh, doesn't do anything, okay? She just sits and listens to Jesus and what he has to say. Uh, Mary, Martha then complains to Jesus that Mary is not helping her, and Jesus says that Mary has made a good choice. All right, so what do we learn from this story? Uh, before we get into the, the who's right and who's wrong of the story, um, let me just kind of take a survey and ask you, maybe by, by way of raising your hand, um, which person you are more like. So imagine you are having a very important dinner party at your house. Um, I, I've met some famous people. I'm sure you have too. I've been around famous people, but I've never had someone famous like at my house for dinner. Um, but that's exactly what, what Mary, what Martha has here. Um, Jesus is very famous. Like this is the guy that's going around raising people from the dead. And there's a story about him calming a storm by speaking to it. Okay, he's, he's teaching some incredible things, and he's coming to Martha's home. Imagine you were in that situation. The most famous person that we know of is coming to your home. And so, in that situation, which of you are more like Martha, right? She's, she's busy making sure everything's in order. She's busy making sure the guests are taken care of. She's making cups of tea. She's, she's clearing the table. She's doing dishes, okay? Raise your hand if you're more of like a Martha kind of person, I expect there's quite a few Marthas in our country, right? Because we have, there's some expectations around Northern Irish hospitality, right? Like imagine someone, maybe someone that's not even famous, like your next door neighbor comes in and you're in the kitchen, you have a conversation and five minutes goes by and then you're, you're talking and 10 minutes goes by and the kettle still isn't boiled. Like you haven't offered them a cup of tea, like something is off here, right? There's, there's expectations in our culture of hospitality that must happen, okay? And um, who's more of a Mary? Like, you're, you're happy to engage with your guests. You're happy to kind of sit and chat and listen and enjoy the company. Who's more of a Mary here? Come on, there's some Marys in here, right? Richard is a Mary. Just kind of chat and make sure everyone's happy and you're talking to them. Here, hands up if it maybe depends on who's the guest, right? Like, Things are clicking socially, good crack, like I'm going to sit and chat, but things get a little awkward, I might nip and do some dishes, and I think that's me, it just depends on who's, who's coming over. Um, so if, you, if, you, if we have you for dinner and I'm in the kitchen, like, <laughs> pull it together, okay? Um, here's what we'll try not to do with the text, um, is use this story as a weapon against all the Marthas in our life, right? So I'm going to resist the urge to use this text as a way to say to my Martha-like wife, that, hey, it's a Saturday, so maybe we don't have a long list of things to do and we just chill, right? We just relax today, right? Being busy is bad, okay? 
Relaxing is good. Jesus says so, okay? The Bible says so. <laughs> is, that, is that what the story is telling us? Is it a story about two types of people? Some are more like Martha, some are more like Mary, and so it's this story that's this comparison between one person who gets it right and one person who gets it wrong, right? Is it a story that's telling us that we should be more like Mary than Martha? Maybe, okay? Maybe, but it's a difficult question because some people read, read the text and think, man, Martha just gets it completely wrong. She's way off. But if we read it in that sense, we have to deal with a slight discomfort, don't we? Because we all know that, that work needs to be done, right? Like, like someone has to wash the dishes. Someone has to get dinner ready, right? Any Marthas say amen to that? You feel seen? You feel heard? Even this morning, someone had to come and, and, and make sure the sound was, 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 was okay and cut up communion and serve it and get coffee ready. Someone's got to do the work. So if I just sit and listen to Jesus, well, who's going to do it? Would well, land on the Marthas every time, right? And so I think most of us will have a sense that something is uncomfortable if we just read the story as if one of these sisters is right and one of them is completely wrong. Are we to read that, that last verse, right, that says that Mary's chosen the good portion She's chosen the one thing is necessary. Do we read that as well? Spiritual things are better than practical things. The Bible studies are more important than doing dishes. That doesn't really sit comfortably when we read the story next to the rest of the chapter, right? It's, 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 Jesus has taught us a lot of what it means to be a disciple, right? All of the good gospel work sharing the message, caring for the, the tangible, physical needs of those around us. It doesn't really make sense then if we read the story as Martha was wrong for doing so much serving. Now, did Martha get something wrong? Absolutely. Was the thing that she got wrong all the serving that she was doing? Not necessarily. Maybe. But it seems like something else is going on. It's, it's hard to read the story in that way because if you remember back to the beginning of chapter 10, right, when Jesus sends out his disciples to go into the towns and the villages to preach and, and to, to share the gospel and to heal, do you remember what he tells them to look out for when they enter into a, a town or a village? Just look back at verse 5. It says, he, he tells them when they're leaving, he says, Whenever you, uh, whatever house you enter into, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. In verse 8, he says, whenever you enter into a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal the sick in it and say, the kingdom of God has come, to, has come near to you. But whenever, a house, whenever you enter into a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Right, so Jesus tells his disciples, when you go into a place and the house receives you, stay with them. If they don't receive you, move on. So look back at verse 38. What, is, what does it say that Martha does when Jesus and his disciples enter into the town? It says Martha welcomed him into her home. Right, right so, so that word welcome, it's the exact same root word as the word receives at the beginning of the chapter. Martha is doing exactly 
what Jesus told his disciples to look out for when they enter into a place. If they receive you, if they, if they welcome you, stay there. Martha welcomes them. She, she opens her home to them, right? So, so Martha is doing what Jesus was commending in the first part of the chapter. She's being a person of peace. She's receiving Jesus. She's receiving those who come with him. She's the kind of person that they were, look, they were to look out for and to stay with. And that's a good thing, isn't it? So it's easy to read this story and think Mary is the Martha that we should follow, that Mary is the model that we should follow. But, but we have to see that Martha is modeling something that we've seen be important through the whole chapter, right? Welcoming Jesus and those who come with him. There's a theme of hospitality in the Good Samaritan, right? She is modeling this. Her response to Jesus is in many ways the model of who Jesus is looking for when he comes to a new place, those who will receive him. So don't overlook that. We're not going to be too harsh on on Martha because Jesus isn't too harsh on her, we'll see. So Martha opens her home. She welcomes Jesus. Okay, that happens. What also happens is, is Mary is commended for sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. So, so it sounds like we've got two good things that are happening rather than one good activity and one bad activity. So if that's the case, why the aggro in the story, right? What, what's, what's the issue? Where did it go wrong? Well, we get the answer to that question in verse 40 because we're told why Martha is so busy Luke tells us in verse 40 that Martha is distracted with much serving. She's distracted by all the preparations that have to be made. And when she calls on Jesus, he says in verse 41 that she is anxious and troubled by many things. She's worried and upset by many things. And what's causing this? Well, Martha tells us in verse 40, she said, when she went to Jesus, she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to, do, to, to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You can imagine the scene, right? Martha's in the kitchen. She's rushing around. She's busy. She's sweating. She's doing the dishes. She's preparing foods and drinks. She keeps speaking out, and she sees Mary just sitting there, just sitting there, smiling, enjoying, listening to Jesus. And here she is doing everything, and she's, she's waiting for Mary to notice. She's waiting for Mary to finally get up and give her a hand, but she never does. In fact, Mary never even looks in the direction of the kitchen, and her anger is building up, right? She's putting dishes down a little bit harder every time she's, she picks up a dish. And, and notice when the dam finally breaks, who does she direct her anger towards? Her sister Mary? Passively, yes, but her anger is directed primarily towards Jesus. Jesus, don't you care that she's not helping me? Don't you care that I'm left to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. But the way it's told, it seems to suggest that perhaps it's not really about the work itself. This is good work. This is hospitality. It needs to be done. It's more about what's going on inside Martha's heart. You see, the story isn't really comparing Mary and Martha's outward actions, but rather what's going on inside of them. Because we're told that the the focus is primarily on Martha's inward responses, right? She's distracted. She's anxious. She's troubled. 
And in her complaint to Jesus in verse 40, you see where Martha's focus is. It's on herself rather than on Jesus. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Do you see how she's even elevating her own opinion over Jesus's? Right? In the way that she asks the question, she's assuming that he will agree with her perspective, right? She even tells Jesus what to do, which is interesting because she starts by calling him Lord, and then she goes on to tell him what should be happening, what he should be doing, and what Mary should be doing. There's, there's no dependence on Jesus in her question because he is not her focus. Her focus is on herself. Do we maybe hear a little echo of what we heard from the expert in the law in the previous, uh, in the previous passage, right? Remember, look at verse 25, when the lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he asks his second question in verse 29 because he wanted to justify himself. You see, his problem was that he wasn't ready to see himself as needy of Jesus' help. He didn't want Jesus to justify him. He wanted to justify himself. He wants to know what he can do to prove himself to Jesus. And then with the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said to him, and he's saying to Martha, and he's saying to every single one of us, don't be focused on what you need to do. Focus on me. Focus on what I'm doing. Martha was distracted from focusing on Jesus, from, from hearing his voice, and she was distracted by good things, right? She's distracted by hospitality and serving and taking care of her guests. And we can do that too, can't we? Yeah, there's lots of good things to do in the life of church. And sometimes what happens is those who serve and serve and serve can look around and think, why is no one else serving? Why is no one else working as hard as I am? When are they going to get up and get stuck in? And if we're not careful, we can subtly make what we're doing the center of the focus. We can make it about what we are doing, what we bring to the table. And that can usually be a sign that we're starting to look more at ourselves rather than at the Lord. And so what's Jesus' response to Martha's complaint? He says, Martha, Martha. The way, the way he uses her name twice, that anytime that double name is used in the Bible, it's, it's a sign of personal affection. That about 15 times in the Bible, that, that double repetition of someone's name is used. Mar Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Saul, Saul. My God, my God. It expresses a tender, personal affection for the person. So Jesus isn't harshly rebuking Martha here. It's, it's more like he's putting an arm around someone that he loves. He's, this is pastoral care for someone he loves who's, who's getting stressed out and, and, and is losing perspective. And, and she needs to be reminded and, and refocus on what's most important. So again, though, what has Martha done right? Well, she's showing hospitality. She's welcoming Jesus. She's, she's reflecting back the hospitality that he has come to show her in which she needs to keep on receiving from him. So despite her fretting, despite her worrying, she has got something right, and she is a good model for us in that. What's Mary gotten right? Because we haven't talked about Mary too much. 
Verse 39 tells us what she gets right. She sat at the, feet, at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. In, in response to Martha's complaint, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, or what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. That phrase that he uses there for good portion, it, it echoes Old Testament language that uh, says that the greatest possession you can have is close relationship with the Lord as one's portion in life. And in Numbers 18, verse 20, the Lord said to Aaron's high priest, he said, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Right, so Aaron comes from the tribe of Levi, and the Levites were not to have an inheritance in the land. The rest of the 12 tribes were a portion of land were given to them. They had an inheritance, but not the Levites because God himself would be their portion. He would be their inheritance himself, which is the best portion. So the good portion, which Mary has chosen here, it's nothing other than close proximity, close relationship with Jesus himself. To sit at his feet and listen. To be close enough and to be still enough to hear his voice and for him to hear hers. That's what she's gotten right. And even where Martha went wrong, she was distracted with good things, right? She, she doesn't need a harsh rebuke. She needs a gentle correction. She needs a, a loving reminder. Martha, you're worried and distracted and anxious with all of these things. And these are good things that need to be done. But don't you see that there's only one thing that is necessary? And Mary has chosen it. To get close to me. To sit at my feet. To listen to my voice. To know and enjoy my presence. The things you're busy with are good and they need to be done, but don't let them distract you away from me. There's only one thing that is needed or required in your life, and that's being with me, and I'm right here. I think Pete Scazzaro's thesis of the story hits the nail on the head. I've used it many times, that we should never let our, our doing for the Lord outpace our being with Him. There, there's lots of good gospel work and activity to do in the kingdom, but one thing comes first, and that's being with Jesus, listening to His voice, abiding with Jesus. That's our first work, and it's only when we prioritize being with Jesus before we get to the doing in the kingdom that we're able to faithfully continue to serve as gospel messengers and gospel neighbors and for us not to become anxious and distracted and troubled, right? It's only when our first work is to sit at His feet, right, and receive our identity from Him and be filled up with His knowledge and the vision of His glory, only when you're filled up with Jesus that we're truly able to do this good work without eventually making it about us. We mustn't let our doing in the kingdom outpace our being with the king of the kingdom. Because if you do, you will eventually always end up like Martha. Anxious, distracted, troubled, burnt out, judging others. 
and you'll make it about what you are doing rather than what you get to be part of. And that's a dangerous path that leads away from Jesus and his gospel of grace toward a religious system of works and earning your place. Say that again. That's a dangerous path that leads away from Jesus and his gospel of grace towards a religious system of works and earning your place. Just as we end, can I kind of contextualize the experiences of these two sisters for us? And because we want people, everyone who walks in the doors of our church, to learn the lessons of both Mary and Martha. So firstly, Mary. What Mary gets right is she sits at the feet of Jesus as his disciple and listens to his voice and and hears him and learns. Right? And it's important to, to not miss out on the shockwaves that her actions would have sent into this ancient culture, right? The, the countercultural aspect of a woman sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, right? Because in the first century culture, that position was, was reserved only for men. This is a time and a place where women were expected to be in the background doing stuff that I guess Martha assumed women should be doing. Maybe that was part of her disorientation. But Mary puts herself in the position that usually wouldn't have been reserved for her. It's as if she understood that Jesus was welcoming even people like her there. And Jesus says, Mary, you're welcome. Mary, you've got it right. This is a big theme in Luke's gospel, right? He shows us again and again how Jesus shows hospitality and he extends a welcome for people who usually would not have been expected to be welcomed in. Sinners, lepers, those who are considered unclean, tax collectors, and lots of women. In fact, Luke seems to go out of his way to, to give names of many of the female disciples of Jesus. He does that in his gospel, and he does, he does it a lot in the book of Acts. But the point is that Mary understands that she is welcome, even her. She is welcome to sit at the feet of Jesus. Right? Anyone is welcome to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is breaking down major boundaries, isn't he? And we want everyone who comes into our church to see and understand and experience that truth. We want that kind of cultural upheaval experience where anyone can come in, regardless of your background, regardless of, of, of where you grew up, regardless of your sexual identity, regardless if you're a man or a woman, Catholic or Protestant, Jesus breaks those boundaries down and he says, anyone can come in. No one is lesser than anyone else. No one is more unclean. No one is more unworthy than anyone else. Come sit at my feet. Come be close to me. Come enjoy my presence. Come and learn from me. And you see, when he does that, the call is to come and be his disciple and to repent and to live according to his ways, but anyone is welcome. Let's also contextualize Martha's lesson because we want to learn from her as well. 
I had a coffee with someone this week, and that person will know who they are, and I really enjoyed our time together. But part of our conversation was kind of around the Martha stuff, because they were experiencing what I think quite a few people experience when they come to village. And we want the primary way our church grows to be from conversions. We want people to get saved, right? We want people to, who, who didn't know Jesus to become believers. We want to baptize them, welcome them into the family. That's our, we want to grow our church in that way primarily. Um, we also grow by Christians coming along and finding a home with us, and that's okay. Um, that's many of your experiences here, right? Um, it's, here's what's common is a lot of people uh, maybe go away for university or go away to work or they get married, and then they, they find a house, and they, they come and settle in East Belfast, and then look for a church in their neighborhood, and then you walk through the doors of village. That's great. Glad you're here. Glad that happened for you. And, but this couple was experiencing what a lot of you might be familiar with when you came here for the first time, where you grew up, not everyone, but a lot of you grew up in church, and you were super involved, right? You grew up in church, and you served in all of the ways, <laughs> many different ways. You've poured your life into church service. Maybe you're even a leader, which is great. Praise the Lord. You have that Martha-like service in you. But then you come along to a new church, and you're a total newbie, right? And, and no one really knows you, and no one really knows what you're capable of. No one really knows how you've served in the past, and that can be a little disorientating, right? Right? It can be kind of hard to go from being hyper-involved to then not doing very much at all. And maybe you, you ask yourself questions like, where do I fit in? Who am I here? And as much as we need people to serve and want people to serve and, and eventually encourage people to serve and get involved, I think there's something really good about that initial process of disorientation because if you're anything like me, right, so this is confessions of a kid who grew up in church and served in every way possible, right? I've held babies, I've taught kids Sunday school, I've sang in a choir, I've preached, I've, I'm a pastor, I've done it all. And if you're like me, you can very subtly turn your serving into your identity, we just so easily build our identity around what we bring to the table, don't we? And we lose perspective on the one thing that is necessary, the one thing that is required, the one and only thing that gives us our identity, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Choosing, knowing, and enjoying closeness with Jesus, being with Him as our portion in life. We can make idols out of good things like serving in the kingdom. Here's how those things become idols, is we serve and we serve and we serve and we let our, our being outpace, our, our, we let our doing outpace our being and then our dependence on Jesus slowly withers away and it's replaced with a dependence on self. And all you're left with in the end is an idol. That that's, that's what happens when we let our serving our doing become our sense of identity as it becomes an idol. Listen, if you receive your identity from Jesus alone, of being with him, of sitting at his feet, if, if he is your, your identity, then your service becomes worship. 
right? You're no longer working to earn anything. You're working out of your identity in Christ in response of the gospel, and that's worship. But if you're getting your sense of identity from, from what you do, from what you bring to the table, from your serving, you've created an idol. That's a really dangerous place to be in. And it happens all the time. Friends, as, as disciples of Jesus, there is so much good gospel activity to be done in God's kingdom, but none of it must come before sitting at Jesus' feet. John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't be distracted from being with me. Make being with me your first priority. Make being with me your first work in life. That's why we've dedicated this year to being a year of prayer for our church. Because when, when, in prayer, we sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what prayer is. We sit at the feet of Jesus. In prayer, our focus is on Jesus alone. And I, I've said it before, but our Monday prayer, it's my favorite thing we do, even more than this. And you know why? Because no one's on a stage, okay? There's no one that's the focus except for Jesus. Jesus is where our soul focuses. We're listening to Jesus. We're asking him for help. We're, we're confessing. We're admitting our dependence on him. We're asking for strength. We're asking for provision. We're asking for deliverance. We're asking for him to meet our every need. And we'll look more at that next week. But friends, we're called to be gospel messengers and we're called to be gospel neighbors. There's so much good gospel work to do, but we must never let our doing in the kingdom of God outpace our being with the king of the kingdom. Let's stand and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your patience with us. And you are, as we'll see next week, our, our perfect Father. And you know your children inside and out. You created them. You love them. You know us, Lord. And you know our, the ways that we go wrong. You know how we're prone to wandering. We, like children, are prone to making it about us. And so that's why, Lord, we need to make our first work sitting at the feet of Jesus, being still long enough to hear his voice, for him to tell us who we are, for him to remind us of our neediness of him. Would you teach us that again, Lord? We want to be good gospel messengers. We want to be good gospel neighbors, but we never... I want to let those things outpace our being with you. The greatest thing about being a follower of Jesus is we get Jesus. Lord, may we learn to enjoy your presence and work out of that identity in you. In your name we pray. Amen. And Jesus gave us a meal to remind us who we are, to remind us of what he has done, and we declare what he's done in this meal. We declare his work, his death, um, that's what gives us an identity. That, that's, that, that the security of that is what we now work out of. And so that's why we take this meal every week, this bread that's been broken, that reminds us of his body broken on our behalf. 
this wine that's been poured out, demonstrating his, his blood that was poured out on our behalf. And right here, this is what gives you your identity, what Jesus has done on your behalf. And we, we eat this and we remember and we rejoice in it. And then we go out with that fresh on our lips, right? Fresh on our minds. And we work from that. Um, so as we sing, as we praise, as we pray, as we worship, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, come uh, partake of this meal. Enjoy it. Be reminded. If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, stay in your seat, but, but consider what is on offer here. <laughs> consider that, that Jesus is offering you um, this free gift of salvation. You don't have to do anything. You just have to humbly uh, confess your need of him, confess your sins, and turn to him. Would you do that today? It'd be amazing if you did that today. I'm looking out at some of you who have done that already, and you're filled with joy. Um, and go talk to someone. Come talk to me. If you're, on the, if you're on the verge, if you want to know what that looks like, talk to someone. Do it. Let's sing.